Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Welcome to Affected by Altitude. We are here in another gorgeous Friday afternoon recording, Monday when you're listening to it. And we are happy to bring you the latest news, updates, and hot takes from Rockies culture and from around Major League Baseball. As always, my name is Mac Wilcox. I'm joined by my associates, Evan Lang. How's it going? And Skylar Timmons. Hello. What up? Beautiful. Thank you both for being here, as always. Appreciate y'all both. Uh, This is Affected by Altitude, a Rockies podcast hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. As always, on this year program of ours, we like to start off the session with a bit of an icebreaker, a way to talk about some ball or some, you know, goofy talk before we get into the nitty-gritty of our usual rundown, not of our run sheet. So, the one we're asking this week, and again... We always say is make sure y'all get us on Twitter. Let us know if you have any answers to this week's question, which is starting with Evan uh, leading off for us. What is your earliest baseball memory? I don't necessarily mean the first game you went to, unless that is what it ends up being. But what is the earliest memory you have of baseball in any way, shape, or form? Uh, so mine, it's a little tough because you know, the younger you get, the harder it is to remember stuff. Um, but I'm going with. The, the earliest thing I remember is, so I uh, spent a time when I was very, very young in Colorado Springs, and I remember going to a Colorado Springs Sky Sox game at Sky Sox Stadium, which I think is now called uh, UC Health Park, and we sat out on the, the grass, because uh, Sky Sox Stadium has that, um, like the lawn sections on each side of the stadium mm-hmm. where you can just like sit out and do a picnic type thing and watch the game and i don't really remember the game at all because i was maybe three or four years old at the time maybe four or five but very very young um but i remember being there and i remember sitting out on the lawn and being there for the sky Sox game and that was before i had ever been to a rockies game or anything that's awesome the uh, uc health park is now the home of the uh rocky mountain vibes uh, they're a fun um, independent ball team. Uh, a lot of good times we had hanging out at UC Health Park with the uh, Sky Sox. Excuse me, Sky Sox. That's what they were. 
with the vibes. They do a lot of really fun promotions. There's a uh, pro wrestling promotion they do pretty often. So, uh, you know, go check that out. Catch some uh, wrestling matches. Catch some uh, fun independent league baseball. It's a good hang. You're just saying that because they let you wrestle. I mean, yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's a plug. Shouts to Colorado Springs Wrestling. Shouts to the vibes. Shouts to my man. Um, well, I'm not going to say the man behind the scenes, but shouts to the vibes. Man. They're, they're a real good group of guys. I appreciate all of them. Skyler, who is your or what is your earliest baseball memory? Okay, so right now I'm sending you guys a picture in our Slack channel of one of my earliest oh, baseball word? memories. And hopefully you can Oh man, we got photographic evidence. <laughs> so th- this picture so this picture Oh, that that's showing, awesome. So this picture is little Skyler, uh super young, I'm not really sure, maybe like 2 or 3. Uh, so super young, I'm in these nice feety pajamas, and and I zip and I had this plastic orange bat that I just loved, and I remember my oldest brother who taught me everything I know about baseball. He's sitting on the couch right in front of me, and he he didn't have a regular ball, but he had this yellow plastic football that he tosses to me, and I just remember, <laughs> just distinctly remembering. As the ball comes flying in, I just take a big whack and I spike it right back at him. Uh, and yes, dude, that stance that I have in this picture—I'll probably share it on my social medias later on, uh, but so people can actually see this and how adorable I was. But uh, I just remember it's that same stance. Please do. I used this stance even throughout baseball. This stance I have in this picture, and that's like one of my first baseball memories. It still sticks with, to me with this day. And, how it was destined to be a power hitter. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, can we please get this on social media somehow? Because this is like, that's a banger yes. of a photo, man. Look at them little feety pajamas, man. Those are, that's, that is old school. I love it. That's, Do you still have fantastic. the bat? No, we lost that bat like years and years ago. Oh, devastating. It's probably worth a lot of money now. Uh, this is a famous bat originally owned by world-famous Rockies podcaster Skyler Timmons going on the market for $10,000 is our opening bid. I'm telling you, man, it's going to end up being some cash here pretty soon. That's awesome. I love that. That's <laughs> so cool. Um, good stuff. Yeah, I don't really know what my earliest baseball memory was. Probably going to some of my pop. Uh, we, we grew up in Chicago. Watched a lot of Cubs games. Watched a lot of uh, White Sox games. I believe... He told me a story that I went to a Cubs game when I was like two, but I have no memory of that. But it would have been something like that, going to a Cubs or a White Sox game when I was too young to remember it. Um, shout out to my pop. Thanks for taking me to the old school Chicago games. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate that, as always. And following our icebreaker, we always jump right into Rockies news. And I guess we're going to do something a little bit different. We are not going to talk so much about Rockies news as we are Rockies takes and if you want a hot take i think there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast to understand that the rockies are not a great baseball team as we start recording today they are pretty solidly out of contention for certainly their division and more than likely probably not making a play the playoffs as a wild card spot we open today's recording with the rockies currently um 23 games back of the first place san francisco giants so not a great season or is it? We recently had a quick little discussion that we wanted to get into more here on the podcast. Are the Rockies better than we think they are? Why would that be? Well, they've got a f- horrible, a you know tough-to-look-at road record, but their home record's unbelievable. C.J. Crone has been popping off. Elias Diaz and Connor Joe and Rymel Tapia are having very solid seasons. We're seeing the development of guys like Herman Marquez, who... Seems like you can pencil him into taking a one hitter to the seventh inning every single start these days. So the question I'm asking both of you, let me know if I'm completely off base or if y'all agree. We'll start with Evan here. We'll move on to Skyler. But starting with Evan here, what do you think? Are the Rockies a better baseball team than we have or people are currently thinking? So the Rockies, I mean, it's tough because they're not – a good baseball team because a good baseball team would not be as atrocious on the road as they are with a, you know, 14 and 45 record. Um, there are only 
two other teams that have a uh, road record that bad and mm-hmm. one that has one worse. Uh, so the worst road record currently belongs to the Baltimore Orioles, who are 21-45 and 45 on the road. Uh, and then the Rangers and the Diamondbacks are both 14-45 and 45 on the road. Mm-hmm. But what comes into play is that the Rockies are the second best or third best home team. Mm-hmm. They have a record of 41 and 21 at Coors Field. If they were even competent on the road, not good, just not as terrible as they have been, they would be considered at least in the hunt for a playoff spot. And what's really weird to think about is that a lot of our woes have to do with our division in terms of, you know, how bad we are. Mm-hmm. Cause you look at the standings, you know, we're 23 games back in the division because we're consistently playing the giants and the Dodgers and the Padres, but we are coming off uh, two home sweeps of the Padres. We won the season series against them and in any other division, like um, in the NL East, we'd be a lot closer into it. And even then, for wild card spots, right. we're only 11 games back of the second wild card spot. It's not impossible. Is it improbable? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's probably not going to happen. But if the Rockies went on an incredible tear for the final 40-some games of the season, mm-hmm. we could be in the wild card game, which is crazy to think about especially when you consider you know how weird the roster is made up and all this stuff but a lot of it does hang on our starting pitching especially at home where everybody's just been really really good at home but then you look at the road splits and it's just a completely different story where everyone's got a full point or higher um above for their road era versus their home era Austin Gomber has a home ERA of 1.70. But on the road, uh, he's got an ERA of 5.8. So his season total ERA is 4.09, which is still pretty good. Um, Only one of our starting pitchers has an ERA over 5 right now, and that's Chichi Gonzalez. And we've got, you know, Herman Marquez and John Gray are both under 4. Austin Gomber is almost under 4. And then Antonio Sensatella's season ERA is uh, 4.58. And then Kyle Freeland's at 4.4. Our starting rotation is really, really solid right now. And a lot of what's holding us back is the bullpen. Because home or road, the bullpen has been bad. And then just the absolute inability to hit on the road. But you look at uh, some of the guys who are really showing some excellent... Uh, work on the road. Connor Joe, CJ Crone is starting to pull up there. Brendan Rogers, Rymel Tapia. And we've got guys who can hit on the road and they just need to completely, mm-hmm. you know, fix their approach because the strikeouts on the road are especially bad because being really aggressive at the plate works at Coors Field because you're, you're hitting better there. But then on the road, when you're being overly aggressive and not hitting, you have that problem. And that brings into that list of guys I mentioned where they are all not striking mm-hmm. out that much and demanding control of the batter's box and the strike zone. I think the Rockies, as they are right now, they are not a good team, but they've got the potential to be a good team if they were run properly and made some key additions. Like, if you beef up the analytics department with a new GM and a new team president from outside the organization to work on those things. You make some key signings, you mm-hmm. keep Trevor story in the fold and maybe move some people around. You've got a pretty solid ball club, but who knows if we're going to do any of that. Yeah. That's a, and I, and you've talked at length about the analytics being such a huge part of their development and of the changing of the kind of minds that the Rockies have had. I know you've talked a lot about that before. Um, do you think that that will be like if you had to nail it down to one thing? Is the analytics the thing that will put them over the edge? I would say at the very least, the analytics and adopting a more, you know, modern approach to the way the Rockies play baseball. They've been chastised a lot for, you know, playing outdated, old-fashioned baseball. Um, 
I remember last year it was a thing where it's like the Rockies are playing like a team from 1985 in the year 2020. And that just doesn't cut it. And I think a lot of their road woes could be solved by a more analytical approach Mm -hmm. and finding that exact solution. And a huge part of it is, you know, better plate discipline and better control of the batter's box because a, a really good microcosm of this is Charlie Blackman where Charlie Blackman's power numbers are way down this year because when he's not surrounded by elite hitters in the lineup, especially with Nolan Arenado gone, he's getting less to work with that he can really crush. And he's had to completely change his, um, his plate approach Mm -hmm. where he's focusing more on hard contact and not being overly aggressive and the more he's relied on that because they know that um, because opposing pitchers are starting to realize that he can make that hard contact or he can draw the walk when he needs to, that the fastballs are starting to come back that he can hit for home sure. runs. So he's had more home runs recently. And that really is you know, such a key thing is that with plate discipline comes power. Yeah, that's a great point. Plate discipline has obviously been one of the main reasons that we've seen CJ Crone be so successful. So Skyler then, same sort of question, and I'll actually add a little bit more to yours, which is that are the Rockies close then, right? Because just as Evan mentioned, they're about 10 games out of the wild card. Yeah, sure, they're not that close in the division this year, but we're seeing a lot of these positive signs. You know, let's say we start taking an analytical approach to the game. Are the Rockies better than we think we are currently, and are they close to being contenders? Uh, to answer the first part, uh, they have definitely been better than probably everybody thought they would be this year. Because um, who would have ever thought that they'd be one of the best home teams this season? And we've had a lot of breakouts right. uh, with a lot of guys. And who would have known that that starting rotation would have taken another step up and just become a really, really solid group of guys uh, but mm-hmm. still, they've also kind of performed the way we all thought they kind of would uh, with a lot of, you know, they didn't really do anything to address the bullpen, and that's struggled. Uh, they still haven't really made significant uh, upgrades to an offense that has struggled for several years now. And you know, mm-hmm. so uh, they've been better this year than probably a lot of us thought they would be, but they also haven't been as, they've also been about as, terrible as we thought they'd be in some aspects so they're still kind of sure i don't know they're a weird team uh but on the other hand how many times have we heard every year at the end of the season press conference oh we're just our guys have underperformed we have a team that can compete yeah and we've heard this kind of sentiment year after year after year and so if they so you, could totally do something like we've seen a couple of teams do, like the Giants. If they had a smart analytics scouting team, general manager that and mm-hmm. was really intent on let's build this team, they could pull a San Francisco Giants. They could go out and get a bunch of you know, these seasoned hitters who could really contribute and build around some of that core of that team and you know, give guys like Charlie Blackman some some protection in the lineup so that he can go back to hitting 30 dingers. Uh, so yeah. It just it just depends on what way they want to go. Yeah, they could be close to contending, but that comes from what moves you want to make in the offseason going forward. Because you can easily mm-hmm. retool your team and immediately make a contender. But on the other hand, they probably won't do that. They're a draft and develop type of club. And so they have to wait for guys to develop, and they just sort of shuffle through the season hoping that they can compete. But like Evan talked about before, yeah. you also look at our division, and you know, that that really puts things in perspective. Oh, we're 20-some-odd games back in the National League West. We're an awful team. Well, we're also playing against some juggernauts, juggernauts in our division, whereas we could easily go to like the NL Central or the American League Central and start competing for a division title. Or even in the American League West, we could probably be a little bit better contender there. 
That's a great point. So you're almost of the mind that like they are close if they're not in the NL West, but because they are, they have to take all these bigger steps to get better. Exactly. No, because we look at all the money that no the powerhouse of the Dodgers. We're never going to outspend mm-hmm. the Dodgers. Uh, the Padres are they're going for it, and it's kind of to their detriment at the moment where they've expended more than they brought in, and. Uh, and then there's the Giants who just have a really good general manager who's very thrifty and smart and their analytics and scouting department's very good that they can bring in these guys and maximize them. But it's just that disadvantage that we're always having to go to California. And that's just a big difference from being in the mountains and having to always go there. And so uh, they've got our number, sure. <laughs> so to speak. And so maybe if we're in one of these other divisions – yeah, we could maybe have a better chance to compete. Yeah. It is, you know, it is interesting. I hadn't even thought about that because I was kind of just taking the Rockies' stats and their record sort of at face value and look at the home and road splits. But then you think about, well, yeah, they're arguably in the toughest division in baseball. You know, there's a good conversation we had between what's the toughest division? Is it the uh, AL East or is it the NL West? Because you're right that the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers are all I think we, you know, would all probably agree with saying that they are all above average, if not elite teams. So it is interesting if you stick the Rockies in maybe a NL Central or shoot, maybe even an AL Central situation. Not that I'm not saying that makes sense like geographically. I'm just saying though, like if you switch out one of those teams, the Rockies are potentially contenders there, and that's a really good point because I hadn't even considered that as, as a possibility. So that's it's pretty interesting. I like that. So then, Skylar, I'm going to follow one more. And then we'll, we'll change topics after this. I might even take an ad break here after this. But uh, if you are the Rockies GM, and you're, and I know we've kind of talked a little bit about this throughout the season, and I want you to answer this for me as well, Evan, when Skyler's done, but if you're a Rockies GM and you see these signs and you understand, okay, my division is what it is, I know we've talked a lot about a rebuild. Does their recent few series, you know, they just swept the Padres as we record today, they're about to start a, a, a series with the Arizona Diamondbacks at home. Knock on wood, they're more than likely to do pretty well in that series. Does any of the recent success of these guys like CJ Crone, of Connor Joe, who we're going to talk about Connor Joe here in a second as well, does that give you any thought into maybe, okay, let's maybe pump the brakes on the rebuild and let's work with this? Or are you pretty much still in the idea of like, well, this is all nice to see right now. we got to get, get rebuilding too. What's your thought? I think something that we've we've talked about, we've talked about on podcasts, we've written about it on purplerow.com. Check out all of our articles and blog posts and all that good <laughs> stuff. Uh, but and when we think of rebuild, you no, know, the Rockies are never going to go into that full rebuild mode like the Cubs and the Nationals just did at the at the trade deadline, where they're selling off everybody, all their stars, and just cutting it down to the bare minimum. Uh, the Rockies aren't ever going to do that. And I, that's fine because we can look at how the Giants operate, where for years everybody was saying the Giants need to rebuild. Mm-hmm. They're getting old. You know, they're kind of stuck. They need to rebuild. But the Giants instead retooled, brought in a lot of nice reclamation projects. You know, guys, that are, you know, they're not young, but they're not super old. But you know, nice one, two-year deals, bringing guys to supplement some of their young stars. And – Look at them now here in 2021 where they have the best record in baseball. And so the Rockies could do something like that. No. But they just have to really decide what it is they want to do. No. The Rockies, they'll never outspend the National League West. We already know that. But they can learn to how to outsmart the rest of the National League West. And that goes back to what we've talked about before. Spend spend and put your resources into a good analytics mm-hmm. department and a development department to really help maximize your players, find their potential, you know, unlock their hidden potential. And then you can also figure out how to hit mm-hmm. on the road, you know, because we're not too far removed. The Rockies were one of the best teams on the road in team history a couple of years ago when they went to the playoffs. So we know they can win on the road. This year has just been bizarre, but if they can figure out how to outsmart the rest of the National League West, they could compete that way you know, with their drafting and developing. 
Interesting. So then, Evan, same question that I just asked Skylar. They're doing a little bit better than we thought they would. Are you willing to still go full rebuild, or do you think this is something that, that can be built upon and get back to contention in the next couple of years? It entirely depends on the direction the front office takes at the end of this season. If Bill Schmidt is made the full-time general manager and uh, Fizel remains the team president, I am not sure that the Rockies would be able to put their resources to good enough use to cut a rebuild Uh short and sort of go for it with big signings, especially when, you know, Dick Monfort himself has said that he's not one to make a big splash in free agency. And the Rockies would need to be, you know, selective and smart with who they bring in in free agency and bring in the kind of guys who control the strike zone and um, can be good bats. Because... Something that is interesting is that, so the Rockies have their run differential, mm-hmm. at the very least, climbing up mm-hmm. the boards. The Rockies have a run differential of negative 40 right now. Every playoff team or would-be playoff team has a positive run differential. And it's it's interesting to look at that because we're not... Um, particularly far down the board on the wild card for the NL wild card, but every team in front of us, except for Cincinnati has a negative run differential, but it sort of just climbs up. So Rockies negative 40 mm-hmm. above us is the, the Mets at negative 27, the Phillies with negative 25, the Cardinals with negative 21. And then it makes that big jump up with the Reds at uh, plus 32. But another really interesting thing to look at is the record against teams who are over 500. And the Rockies actually have the second best record uh, against teams over 500 in the entire National League. The only team ahead of them is the San Francisco Giants. So the Rockies have a record against teams over 500 at 33 and 50. Wow. And the Giants are at 35 and 25. So I think it really, like, this is a better team than we expected it to be, especially because how many of us at the end of the season were predicting a 100-loss season? Sure. Like, out of the gate, this season's a total bust. But we've had some some breakouts, and we've had some discoveries in our excellent rotation, especially at home, that a smart front office could pull what the Giants pulled off which is a mix of proven veteran guys that you can squeeze the potential out of along with your younger guys. And the Rockies could emulate that if they were willing to go outside of the team for front office stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Okay, this is my fault. We went long on this, and that's on me, because I think you both, you guys are both making really interesting, and you're bringing up stats that I wouldn't have thought to think about too. So I appreciate you both. I will move on to the next thing before we go here all day, but I love this stuff, man. We can talk about this all day. Another thing we can talk about all day, because it seems like it's like a weekly segment at this point. It's almost like a weekly check-in on who's the hot young star this week. You know, some some young gun that the Rockies have brought up and is tearing it up. And this week, it happens to be Connor Joe. Uh, we are all Connor Joe, guys. You know, the three of us talk. We all love seeing Connor Joe's development and his maturity. Man, he is popping off recently. Uh, Evan, I know you want to talk about this specifically, so I'll let you kind of lead on this one. Give me some Connor Joe action. Joe. Yeah, Joe, man. Joe. 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 I adore Connor Joe. And, man, uh, I'm so happy that he's doing so yeah. well. And I'm going to be very frustrated if his playing time gets cut when Rymel Tapia gets back. Because he's been starting almost every day recently out in left field. Um, Primarily, Connor Joe was a first baseman coming out of the draft when he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And we've really been using him in left field. And he's looked great out there. Like, he's had a couple mistakes because it's not his natural position and he's really playing it the most he ever has this year. But looking back at some of the highlights, he's made some phenomenal catches out there. He's been fantastic. And... What's really important with Connor Joe is his bat. He is one of those guys we talked about earlier 
who controls the strike zone. He has a strikeout rate of only 21.2%. And since he got, since he got called back up, um, on July 20th, he's really been keeping around that number for this period of time, um, from July 20th up to today, where in that stretch, his strikeout percentage is 21.6. And he knows how to draw a walk. And because he's so patient at the plate, he can get pitchers to put things in the zone that he can hit. Mm. So he's had a bunch of multi-hit games since he's returned to the big leagues. He's got seven home runs now. He's got, he's just doing really, really well. And if he can continue at the, at the, at the rate he's going. So right now, overall for the season, he's slashing 286, 364, 481 with a weighted runs created plus of 113. That's really, really solid production from your everyday left fielder. And he's a little older because of, all his health stuff and some of his developmental things that came with that, where he didn't really get to bust into the league originally. So he just turned 29 and that's, you know, older than some of the other guys we are giving playing time to like Brendan Rogers and, and stuff like that. But if he can keep up the performance that he is showing throughout the rest of the season, the, the 40 some games left, there is no reason for the Rockies to not bring him back next year as an everyday starter. He is absolutely earning it. And I know that was the the mantra of the team is, oh, you got to earn your playing time. There is nobody right now of the, the rookies earning their playing time more than Brendan Rodgers and Carter yeah. Joe. And his teammates love him. He's got infectious positivity. Everyone seems to be having a great time with him around. He seems to be having a great time. The fans love him. I love him. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love Connor Joe. I'm I'm really excited with how he's doing this season. And I would love for him to keep getting regular starts for the rest of the season. Even when Raimel Tapia returns, there's got to be a way to shuffle things yep. around so that he is still getting everyday playing time. And... I see no reason why we can't bring him back next year. He's been such a great discovery and a great development for the Rockies this year. Absolutely. A discovery, I think, is the right point because we are all kind of hoping. He had a pretty nice spring. We were hoping he would make the team out of spring training. He did not. Uh, they went with um, Chris Owings as sort of their utility man. But the more playing time that Connor Joe has received, man, the more he has really shown himself to be uh, a good piece for this team you know, like you just mentioned, he's been great out in left field. Love seeing the plays he's making out there. He's been a lot of fun to watch. What's your take on Scott on uh, Connor Joe Skyler? Uh, it's it's fun. It's fun having Connor Joe uh, on the team. You know, just with his story and everything and everything he's gone through and overcome. And yeah, like he's really proven himself. Has been a very quality at bat, uh, hitting home runs. Uh, getting on base, which is which is really good, and you know that that defensive versatility, at least, has kind of been helpful for him being able to play first base and then you know, filling in the outfield right now with some of the injuries. Mm. Uh, but he he kind of fits into that strange, you know, kind of complex area where you know the depth chart for the Rockies is really you know, congested with a lot of guys who kind of all play the same positions. Uh, something that just came to mind is what if Connor Joe learned to play second base and he's our starting second baseman next year? That would be something interesting. Mm, that would be something. But uh, mm. it, it would be good. It, it's tough with that age, you know, being 29. It could be something where he is, you know, maybe not an everyday starter, but, you know, again, that utility guy you know, who kind of gets into platoon situations, you know, with you no know, somebody like Rymel Tapia or you know even a Sam Hilliard something like that, but it, it, along with what Evan said, he needs to be playing a lot more. He's earned it this yeah. year, which is really good here at this part in the season, and hopefully he can continue that success. And you no, know, maybe even if he 
starts good, he could be a little piece that we trade off to somebody else or he can get that even more playing time and really blossom (laughs) into, you know, like a Mike Yastrzemski or someone. It hurts when you say it, but it's so true. Um, Yeah, man. So safe to say we're all big Connor Joe guys here, man. Let's, Let's see if he can keep on this hot streak. Love watching him grow and develop. Joe, 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 keep it going, man. Joe, Alrighty. Joe, Joe, Joe. It's just fun. Like it's just fun to chant. Like it's a it's a blast, man. Uh, hashtag Joe, Joe, Joe. Put it on Twitter and at Purple Row. Hashtag Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take ourselves a uh, ad break here. We come back. We got a bunch of different news from around MLB. We've got to talk about Jacob Degrom. We're going to talk about the new CBA proposal, and we might even talk a little bit of NBA basketball. Why? I don't. We got to find out. Stick to the break. We'll talk to you in just a second. Welcome back. We appreciate you sticking with us through that ad break. We return to Affected by Altitude with myself, Skylar, and Evan. This is a Rockies baseball podcast, but not right now because we're about to talk to some NBA basketball, at least tertiarily. We just recently found out, just a little bit after we started recording, actually, that Giannis, uh, I've always had a hard time saying his last name, but Giannis up the Bucks. Antetokounmpo. Listen to Evan. That's how you say that. Uh, he is now a minority owner of his own Milwaukee Brewers. Kind of cool. We're seeing more and more athletes venture out into the sports ownership world. Um, this doesn't necessarily have to be a big, long discussion, but what do y'all make of this? Giannis, uh, partial ownership in the Bucks. Big news? No news? What do you think, Evan? I think it's not necessarily huge news. It's just kind of fun. It's another example of... You know, an athlete investing in the sports of their adopted hometown. You know, we've seen um, Pat Mahomes. He um, is a part owner of the Kansas City Royals. Aaron Rodgers is a part owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think it's it's not huge news, but it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, I'm just waiting for Peyton Manning to become part owner of the Rockies. <laughs> How sick would that be, though? And his first... Uh, I'd be down. He does love Colorado. And his first move would be to hire Todd Helton in some way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Peyton Manning owns the Rockies and Todd Helton is the GM. I mean, I don't know. There's worse ideas, I guess. Um, cool beans. little... Side note, uh, sidebar, talking about some basketball, but we're right back into baseball. Some uh, actually pretty big news in Major League Baseball is that Jacob deGrom was officially put on the 60-day injured list. It is not impossible that he will be out for the season. That is, of course, huge news for the Mets. Jacob deGrom having one of the best pitching seasons, I was going to say, we've seen, but shoot, anyone's ever seen, honestly. He has been absolutely untouchable this season and the thought of losing him for the rest of the season is devastating for a Mets team that is trying to make a deep playoff run. Skyler, is there anything the Mets can do to back up the loss of someone of DeGrom's caliber or is it just sort of one of those things you kind of take on the chin and hope for the best? Yeah, it's pretty much that where he's been injured on and off all season pretty much and the Mets, they don't have a terrible Mm. starting rotation Marcus Stroman has been really good. Uh, Tywon Walker, he's had a little bit rougher as of late, but he's been pretty solid. Uh, and some of their other guys, they, they have the potential there, and they're just going to have to make do. Oh, but it's, it's the Mets are going, it went in all, and went all in this season, and you know, they're just hitting the panic button at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> they're really struggling. Yeah, panic button's probably pretty accurate. Evan, what do you think? You, you got anything to back up to Grom? I would not be surprised if he doesn't come back. It yeah. At the earliest, he can come back on September 15th, which leaves less than half a month of games to go. And it really depends on where the Mets are standing because they've been tumbling as of late. And right now, they're just... They're, they're really on a precipitous slide. They are a game under 500 now. They fell to 60 and 61. They've been losing a ton of games, and it's really a bummer to see because, especially with Jacob deGrom, he was having 
an incredible season. For a large part of his season, he had an ERA under one. Right now, as of recording, his ERA on the books is like 1.08. He's got a whip of .55 and 146 strikeouts in only 92 innings. It's incredibly you know, sad and frustrating to see him go down because it also loses him the chance for the NL Cy Young, which was pretty much surefire his if he stayed healthy and continued his pace. Because now it's probably yeah. going to go to somebody like Walker Bueller or Zach Wheeler or Corbin Burns or somebody because he just doesn't have the same amount of playing time now as everyone else does. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's a loss for baseball. Just because, like, obviously everyone wants their team to win. But it's like if Mike Trout or Shohei Otani or, you know, anyone like that. Or, Tata, or Tatis even. He's a rival in our division. But it's a, it's a player that is so much fun to watch. He's good for the game. He's having a great season. And to see him go down like that is really, really... It's a bummer, man. Like, it's it sucks to see. Obviously, we all hope he's okay. Take plenty of time to recover and come back, you know, better than ever. But it's a huge loss for the game, for sure. Next up on the list, I'm pretty much going to put my hands up at this one. There is a CBA proposal discussing luxury tax thresholds. And here's the thing. Anyone that knows me, even a little bit, knows that I do not understand math and I do not do well when it comes to money. So I'm going to let my two pals kind of talk us through this. Evan, I'll let you kind of open, explain, dumb it down for me, and explain to our listeners what this CBA proposal means and how it will operate, potentially, if approved, and what it could mean for the future. So I'm not convinced that this, in its current form of proposal, is going to you know make it in a new CBA agreement if we get a new CBA agreement and no strike, which fingers crossed but who knows so basically major league baseball is proposing to the players association the addition of a salary floor of 100 million dollars per team so basically each team is required to spend at least 100 million dollars on their roster which would in theory force teams who are notoriously cheap like say the pittsburgh pirates the baltimore orioles to spend more on talent. So the, um, the pirates spent only uh, 62.9 million on their payroll this year. Uh, Cleveland 63.2 Orioles 76.5. Basically the concept is to force them to try and be more competitive by spending. And the way that this would be paid for is not necessarily by the owners reaching into their own wallets and you know actually opening up the coffers <laughs> but instead adding an additional tier to the luxury tax where um, at 180 million dollars in payroll you're taxed at 25 percent for everything you go over that and then those penalties uh, increase for the next couple tiers up. Um, the top tier is if you're spending over $210 million on your team. And it's not super clear how this would work, though basically the thought is that those teams that are taxed at that threshold would be used to fund teams spending below the $100 million threshold to, um, to be more competitive. I don't love the idea of forcing other teams to pay for cheapskate teams to be competitive. Frankly, it's of my opinion that if you can't afford to spend the salary floor minimum proposed at $100 million, you should not own a professional baseball team. Mm. But the that updated luxury tax is sort of why well, I think this is not necessarily going to go through. But I do really like the idea of a salary floor in terms of competitiveness in that you are forcing all of these teams to at least make an effort to be competitive by spending on free agents and by um, by spending to improve their team. No, well, I appreciate that because you did sort of dumb it down for me. I appreciate the help of that because I was hitting you both up before this saying some of you help me out with these. So it does make it a little bit easier. So it's almost forcing the owner's hands 
to have that floor that you must spend money on. What do you think, Skylar? Is that something that could ever happen? Or is this getting shot down? I think at the first part, because the way MLB is always you know, trying to bargain with the players' union is they bring out ultimatum things like this. You know, they always bring out these package deals mm-hmm. of like, we'll do this if you do this. Instead of like, hey, here's this aspect mm. of something. Do you want to keep? How do you feel about that? Uh, but the salary, the luxury tax threshold. Yes, baseball doesn't have a salary cap, but most teams use the luxury tax thresholds as the salary caps. Because uh, we always, you always hear in the during the trade deadline and everything. Oh, the Yankees, they want to stay under the luxury tax. Here's what they're gonna do and. No, that's why there was so much money involved in some of the trades they did where like the Rangers were paying the entire salary of Joey Gallo or the Cubs were paying for Anthony Rizzo, things like that. So I, I know the players union isn't too thrilled about the luxury tax threshold, uh, the so quote unquote uh, cap, because that just kind of limits things and uh, that'll just force teams to spend a little bit less, but I, it is good to have that salary floor idea where you no know, teams that you know you need to at least be paying your teams this much. But that's also kind of the monkey's paw, where some teams may try to cheese that where they'll still have a relatively cheap roster, but oh maybe they have one or two free agents that they kind of paid a little bit more just to get them up over the hundred million. Uh, so there's still a lot of problems with trying to put it all together but they're on the right track that it's something that kind of needs to be addressed because there's too many teams that are starting to tank but there's also a bunch of teams that are spending way more than a bunch of other teams even could you know, like the Dodgers the Yankees teams like that so it's just hard to find that balance in a sport you know if you've ever seen Moneyball or Brad Pitt as Billy Bean's talking about, there's the teams that the haves and the have-nots, and so it, it's a tough balance to strike. But it's something that could be implemented, and if it's figured out and done properly, now, like Evan said, I, I don't like the idea of the rich team having to pay for the team that doesn't want to pay anybody, <laughs> having to pay for their roster to mm-hmm. kind of bump them up. But sure, no, even that, no, raising the minimum wage. No, there's a bunch of other things you can do to help boost those rosters up, up in the minimum wage for a, for a player at the big league level. No, Interesting. All these other things to just try and figure it out. And it, there's so much that goes into it. Money's a hard thing to deal with in Major League Baseball. Of course. Because you get without that salary cap, you got guys with their agents that are trying to get the biggest contract possible. So guys would have to be willing to maybe take a little bit less and not shoot for those 30 million contracts every single year. You know, but uh, mm. there's a lot that goes into it. But I think the inklings of the right track of good idea, it's there. Yeah. So it's steps. Yeah, the CBA is obviously a hot topic conversation as we enter into the 2022 season. And this is just yet another aspect that we're going to have to keep our eyes on and see if anything more develops from it. Um, another little piece of a little more lighthearted news is the Little League World Series tournament. It's going to be underway. Uh, Skyler, I know you've been following along with the Little League World Series. Um, what are you looking for in this, really? I mean, not quite as, as competitive as, say, the uh, Olympic uh, baseball games we saw played. But will you be watching the Little League World Series, Skyler? Yeah, I, I watch a little bit of it. <laughs> Uh, I was, it's kind of ironic that I said that we should talk about this a little bit because I'm one of the most cynical people sitting there watching the Little League World Series. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's the, the 10 to 12-year-old kids, and, you know, they're playing on the small Little League fields, but then they just always act so cool when they hit a home run when it goes like 200 feet. And <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just very cynical watching it because I just kind of, get into that grumpy mood of oh man if i was playing i'd if i'd played back in my day i would have been crushing these kids and uh, but <laughs> it, but it, it is fun to watch though uh 
just this pure form of baseball. These kids that are having fun, you know, they're not worrying about analytics and you know <laughs> replay reviews and all this stuff. You know, it's just these kids going out having fun playing baseball, and you know there are good talented kids out there, and it's fun to watch them. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. no, there's the there's the girl that's a catcher for one of the teams that's playing. You know, that's a really good catcher, and so that's fun to watch. You know, seeing the game expanded out that way. And, you know, it's kind of sad this year it's only teams from the U.S. They didn't have the international bracket mm-hmm. this year. So it's just 16 teams here from the U.S. But it's just fun to see all these kids come from around the from around the country in the years past from around the world come and play baseball. You know, it's fun, even if I am sitting there making fun of them and being cynical, old man. <laughs> I don't know who listens to the podcast that assumes Skylar would be our crotchy old uh, get-off-my-lawn guy, uh, but apparently that's the role that my man wants to fill, so we all have a part to play, and that's that's hilarious. That's Skylar's. What do you think, Evan? You watching any of the uh, Little League World Series? I'll probably watch, watch a little bit when I have time. Um, the main thing I wanted to talk about for the Little League World Series was the Little League Classic, um, which is going to be Cleveland versus the Angels this year, mm-hmm. and the little league style uniforms that their two teams are going to be wearing look really, really good. <laughs> and I really, really like them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially cause we're probably not getting a player's weekend this year. So that's going to be nice. And, and definitely, uh, the little league world series in general is great because you want to keep these kids playing baseball and it's really cool to get them on stage where, you know, they their love of the game and their talent for the game even at a younger age can be shown on a national level awesome yeah it, it is kind of cool getting that kind of exposure for them um i'm never gonna say no to having baseball shown on a big um you know big level um yeah anything else skylar anything else before we move on our last thing well yeah and going along with you know the little league classic what a great opportunity you know, for the little leaguers that will probably be in attendance to watch the game, to have one of the hottest stars in baseball right now in Shohei Otani, for them to be able to watch him play there in Williamsport for the Little League Classic. Just what a great opportunity for those kids and for baseball to showcase somebody who's doing something historical that we've never seen before, who's you know, just entered. People are talking about if he could be a Cy Young Award candidate his likeliness of being able to win that mm. along with the MVP, you know, and he's leading the league in home runs. Just what a great opportunity to have Shohei Otani there for the little league classic amidst this wonderful season. And yeah, you know, what a great opportunity for those kids there to see that and for, to inspire them perhaps to change the way baseball is going to be played in the future where, you know, there's going to be way more two way players and you know where at some point you may have an entire field, nine guys out on the field, any one of them could come in and pitch like six innings and hit two bombs. You know, what a great opportunity to have Shohei Otani there and everything that he's doing. Good for him. We like Shohei here. Yeah, we do like Shohei here. He's a great ambassador for the game. And I think you make a good point when you talk about the next generation, these guys that could potentially – be the next major leaguers and potentially change the way the game is played. I think that's awesome. And you're right. That who better than Shohei Otani, who is literally changing the way the game of Major League Baseball is being played? Who better than him to kind of be that ambassador for these guys? I love that point. All righty. Last little subject, and I think this is one that actually might get a little touchy with uh, myself and Mr. Evan Lang here, but we're going to get through it. Our last topic of discussion before we head out for the day We've seen a lot of great players having great seasons, right? We talk about DeGrom. We talk about Otani. We talk about Tatis. These guys having these very, very nice seasons. Someone else having a great season right now is one Joey Votto. Playing like a man possessed right now. He recently recorded um, his 300th home run. He has got 1,000 – or excuse me, I want to say he has 3,000 RBI. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Evan. Um, but – the question I'm posing to both of you, I'm going to start with Evan because I put this on the docket and I was not sure if we were 100% in agreement on this one. I'll ask you, Evan, first, is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer? Yes, obviously. Okay. Did not even hesitate. My man had an answer without hesitation. Explain to me why. 
Joey Votto has played all of his 15 seasons with the Cincinnati Reds. He's one of the best players in Reds history. He's only had three seasons ever where he's hit below like 270. Mm-hmm. Almost every year he's hitting 280 or higher. A ton of seasons where he's hitting well over 300. He has great power potential, but he's he did the Ichiro thing, is that he never really focused on hitting home runs. His focus was getting on base. And he led the major leagues in on-base percentage in like seven different seasons. Most recently in... 2018 where he had an on-base percentage of 417 he once had an on-base percentage in 2017 he played every game that season and had an on-base percentage of 454 and then in 2012 he had an on-base percentage of 474 his career on-base percentage is 417 that's crazy he is so good at getting on base and then all of a sudden this year he's crushing home runs and it really is that as he's getting older now he's focusing on home runs. He wants to hit the home runs. He even said in an interview recently, oh, why are you suddenly hitting home runs all the time? Because I want to hit home runs. Yeah. That's just how good he is and what good control of the bat he has. And he has 322 career home runs at this point. He's no slouch in the power hitting department. But it's tough to imagine how many more he could have had had he actually focused on being a slugger. Because he's got a career slugging percentage of 520. That's nothing to cough at. Right. But he career-wise, he's a hitter. He focuses on getting on base. He just recently got his 2,000th career hit, one of only five Reds in the last, I think, 40 years to reach that landmark. He's got a career B-War of 63.1. He's just that good. I don't know if I would I would call him a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know if anyone else would agree, but first he is a ballot. Hall of Famer. He is one of the best first basemen of this last generation. Six-time All-Star, won the MVP in 2010. He was even um, second place for NL Rookie of the Year in 2008. Like, he really is that good. Um, Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer. I just want to say real quick, I'm an idiot. I was looking at numbers, got my numbers confused. Uh, Joey Votto has 1,000 RBIs to his career. I said 3,000, that's absurd. Joey Votto has 1,000 RBI for his career. Uh, like Evan said, he recently recorded his 2,000th hit, and he also has 1,000 runs scored. Uh, he also has 322 career home runs as we record today. I'm not going to give my answer just yet. Evan says he's a surefire, no-doubt Hall of Famer. Does Skyler agree or disagree? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Uh, that's my Southern lawyer impression. <laughs> but, oh, God, we're doing voices now. Oh, we're doing this, yeah. <laughs> I submit into our Slack channel another thing that kind of uh, goes with my thought process. Oh, evidence. If Joey Votto is not a Hall of Famer, then here. Todd Helton is not a Hall of Famer. Because if you look oh, at their stats, man. they're very close in their careers. Oh, and you know, I full-heartedly believe that Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. And so I believe that Joey Votto also is a Hall of Famer. Not quite first ballot. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but you know, in their both their careers you know, feel really similar. You know, where they're been, they both played on one team. Joey Votto has been on, with the Reds for 15 years. You know, Helton was with the Rockies for 17. And you know, they spent years on kind of mediocre teams, but still being that rock in the ro- in their lineup and everything and you know a solid part of that uh offense and you know Joey Votto good defender Todd Helton was a good defender and just looking at these stats you know you can go home and they're matched up and they're really close where Todd Helton still has the edge on him in most of them uh but Joey Votto could easily you know kind of close those gaps a little bit more if he plays another two years there with the Reds and so you just look at it they're, with their just their career splits or their slash lines. Todd Helton, 316, 414, 539. Joey Votto, 303, 417, 520. And they're very similar. And Joey Votto has 
no, just been, I guess, such a solid piece for that Reds franchise for so many years. You know, he is Mr. Red, and he's put in solid work. And, you know, it's funny that he's just starting to hit home runs, whereas he was mostly focusing on just getting on base and hitting the ball. And just everything about him just reminds me so much of Todd Helton and his career. And so that's that's my my thought process that Joey Votto is, in fact, a Hall of Famer. He won't be first ballot, but he will get in. This is crazy. This is crazy. And I absolutely, Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. He should be in the Hall of Fame already. And, you know, Todd Helton played for two more years than Votto has currently. But he also played in like 400 more games and has like 2,000 more plate appearances but their stats are that similar, and that speaks volumes just to how good Joey Votto is. They're two of the best first basemen in the last 20, 30 years. And that's such a great point, Skyler, is that if you don't think Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer, then you don't think Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer. Oh, kind of destroys my whole argument <laughs> looking at these stats. You got me messed up right now, bro. This is crazy. So, okay, so... Again, it's no secret that I'm not good at math. I'm not great at, like, higher metrics and things like that. So for those that don't know, Skylar mentioned something in the Slack channel. Skylar just sent us great um, comparison from Stathead that literally puts up against each other that um, the skill, the excuse me, the uh, uh, metrics, the batting averages of everything from Todd Helton and Joey Votto. So let's look at some of these. Todd Helton scored around 300 more runs. Has about 500 more hits, has way more doubles, that's to be expected, has more triples, has about 40, only 40 more home runs, has about 400 more RBM, maybe like 350 more RBIs, Votto has stolen far more bases, they've been caught the exact number of times stealing, how about that? But then you get into the career averages, and it's it's like y'all both said, Helton is a career 316, Votto career 303, on-base percentage, Votto is ahead, 417 to 414. Career slugging, Helton, 539. Votto's four, uh, 520. Career OPS, Helton's 953 to Votto's 937. Man, oh, man. When you put it like this, it sure does become hard for a Rockies fan to argue that Joey Votto is now a Hall of Famer. I will say, prior to this conversation, he's fringe for which I know might be ridiculous now looking at this. This, you know, does put it into different terms. But it was a bit fringe for me just because I think part of it too, and this might be kind of like the old school way I was raised, is that, you know, I, I don't think rings have anything to do with your value as like a player individually. I do think it's something that Votto has not really played in many playoff games or he's never really gotten any significant playoff games. He's had some wild card appearances. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, he has never been... Um, on one of these teams. Sorry, I'm just getting deep into this now. But he's never really been a guy. Like I would argue that Joey Votto has never been the best player in baseball at any point in his career. But with all that being said, when you do look at these stats end to end like this, Joey Votto and Todd Helton, it's hard for me to make the argument that Helton definitely is when Votto definitely is not. I'm not going to say. So I'll, I'll also if if Skyler's one step down from Evan, I'll be one step down from Skyler. Evan says he's a for sure first ballot get in there. Skyler says not first ballot, but he's definitely in there. I'm going to say he's probably in there. That'll be my uh, concession to you, Evan, because I know you and I were going to go back and forth on this. But man, Skyler just kneecapped me with this because this is this is good, man. Wow, I can look at this all night. What I do want to say about your your playoff argument is that they're actually very similar in terms of playoff statistics. Uh, whereas Joey Votto actually edges out Todd Helton in some of his numbers. Hmm. Uh, Todd Helton played in 15 postseason games. Joey Votto played in 11. Um, in postseason, Todd Helton slashed 211, 303, 281, and Joey Votto slashes 244, 319, 244, where... Um, Neither of them have any home runs in the postseason, but Todd Helton has four RBIs and Joey Votto only has one. And um, Todd Helton has 
12 hits to Joey Votto's 10, two of which are doubles and one of which is a triple for Todd. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, y'all got me messed up with this, man. I'm going to look into this for a while now. Um, cool, man. This is good. Let us know on Twitter. Get at us on Twitter. Let us know. Is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer? Maybe we'll put up a poll or something on the uh, Twitters uh, for the Effective by Outstanding Twitter page. Maybe we'll put up a poll or something. Let us know if Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer in your mind. If he is, why? If not, let us know why not. Any other closing thoughts from anybody? Skylar, you got anything before we go? Yeah, the one thing with Joey Votto and everything else, I just think that him being you know, a, such a prominent player from Canada is also a thing that should that kind of factors in. Same way with Larry Walker. That's where, a cool point. There were such prominent players sure. for people up in Canada that, you know, along with Fergie Jenkins, they're guys that also that should deserve to get in. They've had phenomenal careers, and the fact that they can be here and also represent, you know, the country of Canada, you know, and everything that they've done, that's also something to celebrate with the Hall of Fame and. No, he's backed it up with really good career numbers, just like Larry Walker. So that's also why I'd like to see him get in. That's a great point. That, and it is obviously, we talk about baseball being a worldwide sport. That would be cool to get more Canadian representation in there. So that's fair. Cool beans. Well, we could go on this uh, rabbit tr- uh, hole of Votto versus Helton all day because I certainly plan to. Uh, but we do have limited time, and our time has unfortunately run out. Appreciate you all listening into Purple Rose, affected by Altitude as always. Quick plug for our brothers, Justin Wick and Kenneth Weber. They also do their Pebble Report podcast. Make sure you check them out as well. Uh, thank you all for joining us here. As always, we'll kind of do our little rollout. Uh, Skylar, where can the people find you on Twitter? Find me at, at sideline underscore crowd. Bang. And then you can find me at Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C-B-A-T-T-L-E Pro. Let me know what you thought of CM Punk's return to AEW tonight. Or let me know how disappointed you were that CM Punk did not return to AEW tonight. Editor, please make the edits as uh, you know necessary following tonight's show. Evan, where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, so my twitter is at evan underscore lang 27. I'd love to hear from y'all. I'm actually going to be uh, hopefully this weekend posting some stuff I want to try writing in terms of branching out to other sports. There you go. I'd love it if you give it a read. You can also hit us up at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter, which is at Altitude Effect. That's where we post our icebreakers every week. Mm-hmm. Let us know at Altitude Effect if you think Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer either way. Cool beans. Well, that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening in. Skylar, hit him with it. Farewell. And we're out. Thanks, y'all.